For listeners of Film Jive, Audible.com is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to check out their service. To do so, you can simply go to audibletrial.com slash filmjive. That's audibletrial.com slash filmjive to claim your free audiobook download today. everyone and welcome back to the Film Jive podcast. I am your host Zach Batanti and I'm joined by fellow co-host Gary Sargentson. We are recording on October 21st, 2015. This is episode number 91 where Gary and I are discussing director Pascal Loge's 2012 psychological thriller The Tall Man starring Jessica Biel, Jodel Ferland, and Stephen McHattie. Wanted or not, boys and girls, some of them just disappeared. Something had come to Cold Rock that was taking the children. Something so menacing, so terrifying, that the people finally gave it a name. She's in her room a few minutes earlier. And I came back and she was gone. She was just gone. There wasn't a sound, there wasn't a scream. There was nothing. I just I went outside and he was gone. I just wish. I just wish I had been there. I couldn't believe it. I looked up and down the street. I couldn't see her anywhere. I panicked. I, and all I could think of was the tall man. I think he's the devil. What kind of people take people's kids? Talking about the tall man? No, that's a myth. There's no tall man. He exists. The only tall man that I've ever seen is the one the kid built through that scarecrow. This was a rich Someone is mysteriously kidnapping the children of Cold Rock, an enclave still suffering the economic wake of losing its mining industry. Known simply as the tall man, locals believe a hulking spectre kidnaps children in broad daylight, attracting television news reports while leaving the police at a loss. Julia Dennings, a widowed nurse, maintains in town's medical clinic and morale until her young son David is abducted. Julia soon finds herself on a frenzied chase to rescue David while the police and townspeople try desperately to unveil the secret of the tall man and bring their children home. I did want to kind of frame the conversation with this quote from Pascal Loger, uh, where he states, We're dealing with real people in this movie, and that's the challenge. We're trying to do a pure genre movie, a relentless, catchy, intense, action-packed, suspense-filled, mystery-driven film, and at the same time having real characters on screen, the real Americana, a bit like Stephen King does in his best novels, trying to mix things that normally aren't mixed. That was the personal challenge. My leading question to start the conversation is, does Loger successfully articulate real characters on screen? Is this the real Americana depicted 
when viewing the tall man does it give you the impression as a viewer that the narrative exists within uh, our own reality mm, unfortunately not if he's trying to depict real characters i don't feel it's quite gritty enough a lot of the the narrative ends in a place that's kind of far-fetched um that's one of the kind of significant problems i had with the film so that's interesting i hadn't heard that quote before but to me the film as a whole has a kind of kind of hollywood slickness that's quite far from a gritty movie and now you keep mentioning gritty is that just because his previous two films are that well definitely matters yeah although i heard a, a quote from him where he was saying that with this film he was trying to get as far away from that as he could because he didn't want to be labelled as the, the extreme director. Mm-hmm. So it's, it is very different. It's a funny one because like, when I first saw the movie it did th- I did think, alright, okay, he's went and made a, a film in Hollywood but it was actually, it wasn't. It was, I think he got the, it was French financing and shot in Canada. But it feels very conventional as a horror movie. Well, is it fair to classify it as a horror film? Like, is that the, um, the genre that it should be rooted in, I guess, is also kind of the question. I think it's kind of bordering crime mystery and some horror. I can understand um, why genre fans are so supportive towards it, because it is at least attempting to strive to get or back to kind of the roots of the genre in being these films that could be more transgressive in exploring sort of socio-political issues that were relevant. But in terms of it being, you know, the real Americana, like I have to really question, does Pascal Loger, has he ever spent any time around poor white Americans? You know, has he spent any time in sort of this backwoods Appalachia environment that he's trying to illustrate? Because First of all, you don't see the, the town surrounding Jessica Biel's character enough to really understand her character's perspective on the, the events of this story. So the entire film, I question this coming from a French filmmaker. What does he know about the United States? Sure, yeah. As I understand it, the script was written, originally written in French, and then it was translated into English. Now, I don't know if the film was always intended to be set in the United States and if it was always set to be an English language film. So I don't know if he's just translating French politics into the United States because if that's the case, it, it doesn't work. I mean, the, the impetus, the premise of the film and then the, the subsequent twist, it comes off quite silly because as an, a member of the American audience watching this film, this implausible circumstance would never occur here because the way that you know child services in the united states it this would ne- it wouldn't <laughs> my biggest question with this movie that ultimately for me is is the greatest problem and why i ask what, why i use the quote of depicting real characters d- real america is i don't think this film knows what its own reality is yeah there are images that are evoking fairy tale iconography. And there are these sequences that exist in this hyper real setting. But then at the end, you have a character confronting the audience face to face and questioning the audience as if, 
as if this is somehow a reflection on the society that we live in. Well, I don't know what the society that the film is living in. I don't know what that is. First of all, all these kids are being taken, and they're being taken like a highway away. They're being stolen from this town, and then they're being put in Seattle. And then you have the the police say, we still haven't found them. Well, Mm. I don't know. Maybe that's the case for France, but in the United States, child services would see these kids walking on the street and say, hey, this missing person is here, and then they'd go pick them up. Okay, all right, that's funny, because there is an interview with Logier about the film that I saw where he said that this the story had to be in America because in France, like, kids couldn't disappear because you didn't have these, like, remote communities mm-hmm. that you have because of just the size of the continent. Apart from it being America, you get the ancillary production design in, in Jessica Biel's house, and her monologue is stating that this is a worldwide crisis. That even opens it up even further in being problematic. Because now it's making a broad statement about the societal structure structure of the world. And to specify on what I was saying, the issue with the way that children are being abducted and, and relocated, it's more problematic because it's American children. It would make more sense to me if these were international kids. If these were kids coming from different countries. Because there's even the scene at the end where he hands this woman the girl's passport. Well, passport is not something that every American citizen has. That's something you obtain when you need it. And it, it's more likely that a child from Vietnam or from Russia or something that is brought over to the United States, it's easier for that person to get lost in the shuffle and people not to be looking for that child than it is a child that is still living in the same state that it was taken in. That, um, Yeah, get some valid points here. I think. Those kind of things, though, I think I would be more willing to overlook if the the central idea was stronger, the central philosophy that's revealed at the end. I mean, I did I did quite like the film the first time I seen it, but I think I was yeah, kind of Yeah, I, I listened to when you guys reviewed Martyrs on Cinema Subculture. You described right. it as great. <laughs> did I? All right. I, okay. <laughs> um, I think, yeah, because... When I heard about the tall man, I think the kind of prevailing discourse about the film is that it is a bit all over the place and not very successful. And I was, when I went in, kind of wanting to like it more. I think that kind of influenced my viewing of it the first time. And I think the plot twists, the constant plot twists, are more effective the first time you watch the film. Just to go on the point that the twist is more effective in the initial viewing, Mm. I disagree. For myself, in viewing, there was never any anticipation in terms of what was going on because the film never gives you an opportunity to arrive at your own theory or your own hypothesis as to what is actually happening to the children. And okay. I say that because we don't know who Jessica Biel's character is. We, have, we never see this event from her perspective. But from the beginning, when David is taken, she doesn't act like a mother who has lost her child. The scenes where they're playing in the house together, that feels like something a big sister and a little brother would do together, not a mother and a son. And so for me, you're not invested in her search for her son as the audience because she doesn't act like his mother. And then you see David reach up towards the tall man as we think it is. So he clearly wants to be this person. So we're not even concerned for his well-being. And then we see a scene where she comes into the diner after being 
after losing them in the chase. And she's acting like she's ashamed. The town, for some reason, turns against her for no reason. There's no twist to be had because we as the audience have no sense about what is actually going on. Sure, but I think that's kind of Logier's intention in a way because Martyrs is the same, like, constant right turns to try and unsettle but the audience. But then it's just yeah. subterfuge for the sake of subterfuge. Possibly, yeah. I think it works in Martyrs better because the place you end up in is far more intellectually satisfying and interesting. Where in this film, I think possibly narratively he backs himself into a corner that is more implausible. Just like if he, if he's intending to, I don't know how if he had the the final plot point first and then he weaves these kind of narratives um, around that, or he's intending to um, constantly do these right turns and then that was the place that it kind of had to go to. So I think structure is. Uh, in context is uh, important. I think if it was a stronger philosophical base um, or a political base, then I would probably um, be more prepared to, to let it go. The philosophical underpinning of the film, like I don't understand the need to root this in the context of horror because it's not even... Sure, it, it's playing with certain tropes and cliches, but there's a more interesting movie to be had just in in the relationship between Jessica Biel's character and, and this town, and then the relationship that she has with the other mothers in the town. I mean, it, but I don't, I ultimately don't see it narratively why this has to function as a horror film, because the tall man and the way that this film opens gives a suggestion that this is somehow a film about myth as if we're being thrust into some sort of fairy tale. Well, you could say that myths are important because they are part of capitalism in a way and how capitalism reinforces itself. Well, right, and they exist as distractions. Yeah. I mean, in this case, they're, it's a distraction from the, the economic issue that's around the town. But the issue there for me is that the movie doesn't ever treat its location with any kind of seriousness. I mean... Mm. Nightmare on Elm Street, you have this insulate, insulated community, the boogeyman that the people know, and there's even a song that the kids sing about Freddy Krueger. It comes back to, to me, that Loge has no concept of, of the world that he's in, inhabiting his film in. And there's no point of view in this movie. I don't know what whose point of view I'm watching this film from, because it begins voiceover from Jodel Furland, we never spend any time in this story from Jessica Biel's perspective. We're always in this omniscient God's eye view where the camera is constantly at these high angles looking down on its subjects as if we as the audience are observing this story, which there are plenty of films that do that effectively, but it counteracts the premise of your film because to put the audience in a God's eye point of view is then removing any empathy that the audience will have for your characters. And this film, I feel like you need to have empathy for characters. You need to understand Jessica Biel's point of view in this situation, where she's coming from, why she's doing what she's doing. And the same is said for David's actual mother. But you're never given that opportunity. I agree with you. The, 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 the narration, uh, I quite like that, but that's it's confusing to switch. You like the, re um, the redundancy of it? 
What's that? There's something mysterious coming to the town. There was something <laughs> strange in the town. Something bad was happening in the town. Those kind of there was a few. There's moments in the film that are more, um, a bit more subtle, which I quite liked. But um, going back to, I think the the first part of the film is meant to be Bill's point of view, because you're meant to the setup at the first is you assume she's a victim. You assume Beale is a victim of what? Well, the first one of the first scenes is you see, see her. She's been like she's been uh-huh. beaten up or whatever, and you assume, all right, our, she something's happened to her. Uh, our son's been kidnapped, but then uh, Logie is going to do that switch. But yeah, I think all well, right. Point of view. Um, well, I think he's trying to control the film in more a kind of Hitchcockian way, where strictly dictating what the audience kind of understands. But that's but that to me is where he fails because Jessica Biel doesn't play isn't performing her character as if she is a mother. Well, she I think she is kinda like when you know the twist, you obviously know she's not a mother. But I think you can you can buy it the first time. You maybe think, oh, it's a wee bit odd, but then that's kind of the point. Okay, then she's not the mother. So then she is responsible for the abductions of these children. Mm. So then we there should be moments where we see Jessica Biel sort of disgusted by the people that she's around. Because there is, the the thing is about her monologue at the end is that she's clearly a self-righteous person. She believes what she's doing is right. Mm. But we never get the opportunity to see that character act that out. Uh, We never get to see any sense that she does feel like she sees something that the rest of this community doesn't. And then that really fails itself. I mean, her monologue, which everything she's saying is very true, but it's so poorly delivered. Yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't play. It's well rushed. There's no pauses. She is right. a human being. I do. I do agree with the choice that when she starts making this monologue, it should feel rehearsed because this is something that she tells herself every single day of her life. But then mm. at some point. There should be a moment there where you see that she's thinking through what she's going to say to this woman. Mm. And she starts speaking more feverishly and her language should start to feel broken. The actual speech, I don't know if it's intended to be Bill's character, but it's very, it comes across quite naive, even if you can buy the argument behind it. Do you agree that the film is critical of what her character is doing? Slightly, but it would be more successful if it was uh, more indicting of Beal and the whole tall man conspiracy, because that's like they have a very bourgeois um, kind of class bias in the sense that take these kids out of poverty, give them art lessons, and send them to good schools, and they'll be fine. But that doesn't solve the problem. Poverty is kind of part of capitalism's internal structure and it breeds inequality I think it should have pushed it more instead of just being critical of capitalism's how capitalism breeds these kind of depressed um, economic areas it should have went more to that side rather than it, the only kind of thing he does is that that look to the camera at the last shot that kind of gives you the impression oh is this the right thing to do? Hmm. Oh yeah, I, I I think the movie ultimately ends with being very critical of the 
like the tall man system or whatever you want to call it. Right. I think yeah, I think you could have done more though. Yeah. The issue that I have is it never once presents an alternative to that system. So you're saying it's wrong. Okay, yes, we all agree. So you're stating something that nobody would argue against. I mean, that's where mm. it starts to feel so thin and silly. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know of anybody that would watch the film and think, yes, we should abduct these children out of their homes and place them other places and never inform their parents and they'll go on and live successful lives. Like, I don't, I don't know of anybody that's that naive to believe that. I agree, but it'd probably be even less satisfying without it. Because then it's just, you're not being critical of the, the tall man conspiracy at all. Well, I guess you have the, the kind of speech that that character gives at the end. Plays that a wee bit. So I guess my, one of the questions I had while watching this is, if we look at it as being just subterfuge for the sake of subterfuge, is the film just a provocation then? And is that is that okay? For me, it's okay if you earn it at the end, if, it, if it's part of a bigger whole that works. The thing that that's successful about Martyrs is that it feels like Logier is trying to, to some degree, critique horror narrative tropes. This film, I think, I think he's tried to maintain the same style narratively, but yeah, it's just not as effective. It's interesting because, like, have you seen his first movie? No, but I, I've I've read about the film. Right, yeah. I mean, he doesn't really do that there. That's just a kind of straight narrative. But all of these I films, think, as, as I, I understand, very much deal with, to some degree, motherhood and a mother's relationship with a child. It seems like childhood is something that's very present in his entire body of work. Mm. I can't remember much about the first movie, but... Um... She's a pregnant woman, though, right? Yeah, it's like she goes to be a cleaner at like a kind of disused orphanage, and then there's some like ghostly kids and stuff. But yeah, right, motherhood again, maybe the pregnancy. But um, in Martyrs, it's, there's a kind of relationship between like the head of the, the conspiracy, who's a kind of mother figure in some ways to the the victims. I guess what I'm trying to to understand about Pascal Loger is I read interviews with him where he makes statements that genre films are at their best when they're they're made as a direct expression from their director. And, right. and the director is using it as a way to express themselves. But when I see this film and what I've seen of Martyrs and what I, I know of Martyrs, is he a director that's primarily interested in genre deconstruction? Because then that's not, I mean, that is a way of expressing yourself, but that isn't exactly congruent with the statement that he makes about what best serves genre. Sure, yeah. I mean, you can't do both, can you? Can't make a genre movie and deconstruct it at the same time. Well, I just feel like you'd get in the way of yourself. Yeah, yeah. At some point, if, you're, if this is a raw expression and you're using genre to do it, you're going to apply the conventions of the genre because you feel like that will that will give you the best framework and language to communicate what you want to communicate. But then if you're simultaneously deconstructing it, you're acting against yourself. Uh, well, my understanding of Martyrs was it was to some extent a reaction to the whole torture porn cycle. So that's part of its deconstructive 
deconstructive elements in that film. So do you see similarities between that film and The Tall Man at all? Well, similarities would be the narrative structure uh, constantly doing these plot twists and the kind of idea that there's a conspiracy at the centre of it. And you could also say that um, Martyrs is a film about kind of dehumanising aspect of capitalism. Um, That could apply to this as well. Uh, So you mentioned that you find that it's a very slick looking film so what do you make of the cinematography i do like the kind of the kind of uh, landscape stuff and overhead shots and stuff like that um but i don't know some of that just feels a bit conventional within how it's used in the film um just feel like kind of nuts and bolts kind of horror film stuff i'd like to i'm to push push it a bit more a bit more art house just to change the whole just to change the tone how the cinematography and leads into the kind of atmosphere of the film because i was so i was i was not invested in the characters or or the narrative there were a lot of i thought the photography was really problematic i mean moonlight in this film is so low to the ground and so saucy i mean there are scenes here that look like they're taking place in daylight when it's it's taking place at night. So when you're talking about the photography, you want it to be more art house. Are you saying that you want it to be more confront confrontational? I don't know. Maybe just more longer takes and stuff. And I mean, yeah, you were saying how you felt you felt like there wasn't enough of the sort of community in the in the film. Um, the character seemed a bit displaced from the location. So. There's a staged quality to everything in the film to where it starts to feel very inauthentic. And when I watched the film the first time and then there's the twist 30 minutes in, I thought, okay, there's going to be a shift now in the way that the film's photographed, in the way that these spaces are revealing themselves to the audience because this first act has been a performance. Mm. And I almost thought it was going to justify some of the directing choices, the way the characters were written, the way that they were speaking, that shift does not come. But the thing that I do find interesting about the film and in photographically is that you will have these sequences where it's there are these very wide static frames and then that's intercut with sort of either rough handheld or there's steady cam or there's a crane shot or something. For instance, there's a very well executed crane shot during the chase sequence where the where the truck flips over and the okay. camera goes up and then comes back down towards the truck's door and when the door opens up it's black and we cut from that shot back into a wide of the truck on the ground as the child is rising the timing must have been off or something in that shot but i don't to have this elaborate crane shot that then leads to a door opening that we don't see who's coming out to then come back out wide it's another one of these images that leads to nothing, that there's no conflict, there's no tension. That, that kind of crane shot, there should be a reveal at the end of that shot. And it makes me think that the timing with the operator and the actor, something was off, but they didn't want to lose the shot because it ups production value. I will be honest, the film did lose me within its first 10 minutes. 
Okay. <laughs> it comes in the form of that local news montage, which I think is a really, it's a good device in terms of moving through exposition quickly. But I feel like it's not properly utilized because the tension of that sequence is undermined by Joe Del Ferlin's character's voiceover telling us the children are missing. And then why am I seeing the children, the actual children in the montage disappearing on camera? Why do you see that? And why are there still video scan lines on that footage? It stages it in a way that makes you think somebody filmed that kid just get dis just disappear out of thin air. <laughs> it's the same technique applied in the opening of Martyrs. I mean, they're both projected images. Martyrs, you have the Super 8 footage of the two girls coming up together. And at mm. least what I've seen of that film, that is much more effective in you as an audience accepting the relationship between these two characters and doing it quickly. It's economic. There, this sequence is then used to thrust us into an opening title sequence, which is absolutely atrocious. That superimposed text on the environment oh, yeah. Yeah. is awful. <laughs> <laughs> it looks like an After Effects project a college student would do at school. Like, right, okay, yeah, you got to impose mm. text into your into your footage now. Here's your B roll. <laughs> that montage is a very I, I like it a lot. Like the idea of it. I don't think the performances are particularly strong in it, and I don't like that it's intercut with the footage of the children disappearing. But that should have been the beginning of the movie. We didn't need all that other stuff at the beginning. Just go to the montage. But then why use it? Why use the momentum that that builds to then go into three minutes of titles? You use mm. that to move into your story. I don't need. We don't need the titles anymore. Yeah. Maybe we've touched on this already. But it, do you see it as being effective as a genre deconstruction in the way that I, um. not as much as Martyrs is, but. Do you see the tropes that it's applying here, and do you feel like it's subverting them at all? I think it's, I don't know, it's trying to deal with some horror cliches and tropes and stuff, but I don't think it's successful when deconstructing them. But it's hard to really tell how important that is to them in this film. But I mean, some some stuff like, um, you know, rednecks, remote locations, the tall man himself, Beale's character, who you're kind of, at the start, you might think identifies that final girl type. And they're all they're all flipped, but not really taking us to any kind of interesting ideas. Yeah, I don't know if it's like, because idea of the tall man and traditional serial killer, kidnapper, whatever, subverting that um, as a cliche, but then in the the end, the Tom actually, actually does exist. So I don't know if it's flipping and flipping back and then just undercutting itself. But it's also with the tall man. What, what time does the movie really dedicate to unearthing that mythology? Yeah, and I think the way that the actual, actual conspiracy is revealed plays more like just a kind of bad like James Bond movie. Um, it doesn't really have enough realistic grounding to make it plausible. Well, that's where I was going to ask you because Martyrs is also, there's this organization. Do you think he's just reusing like a plot element from one film to the next? Like he's trying to sustain some element of conspiracy or something. 
Yeah, well, that's um, what makes me think that the conspiracy is a way so that he can do these um, constant plot turns and force that narrative style and then then try and end up in some kind of philosophical critique. But in Martyrs, it's still to some extent far-fetched, but it's much more believable because the idea is stronger. Well, it's the also, I, I'm assuming the, rea- the movie has staged a reality where that thing could exist. Yeah. That's where production design, t- for me, becomes a huge disconnect because that truck that the tall man is driving, mm. it belongs in another movie. And the fact that this mm. woman could essentially chop down a tree in 10 minutes and put it as a roadblock for Jessica, I mean, and then there's the, the prison. It's this surrealist prison with this monochromatic coloring. It's all very sterile, blacks, whites, grays. When David's mother visits Jessica Biel, why aren't there other inmates speaking with other visitors in the scene? Like it, it just is staging these very surreal. It's not. It's beautiful to look at, but it's it's in the wrong film. It's even the room where David's mom goes to meet Stephen McCaddy before she goes to talk to Jessica Biel. That office makes no sense. It's a filing right. cabinet and a desk and some chairs right. in a in a c- concrete room with no windows. It's existing within this surreal reality that the movie it never commits to that. And that's where my issue with the point of view is if we're going to look at this portion of the movie from Joe Del Ferlin's perspective and then this portion of the movie from Jessica Beale's perspective, then the reality of the film should enforce whoever's perspective we're in. I mean, I don't know if some of that stuff's like a budget limitations. But that truck doesn't exist in the real world. You had to build that truck to outfit that truck out. He wanted it to look like that. Or even like the the sequence where she's wandering around in the woods. She's in the foreground and the background surrounding her is all backlit with this white moonlight. It doesn't enforce the reality of the film that you gave me at the beginning. I feel like the the film not having a sense of its own reality is is the greatest thing that's keeping it from being stronger. I mean, that and, like, we talked about the sociological thing, but, I mean, just that sequence where they're in the prison and Jessica Biel ta- tells David's mother, I gave him everything he needed, and the mother responds something like, well, I don't live in another house and I may not have money, but I love my son. Like, that, a mother mm. would not say that. Like, she would lose her mind and say, you didn't give him everything he needed because I'm his mother and he needed me. And I understand that she's trying to find out where the other children are. And that's, but that's the flaw of the scene is, is David's mother shouldn't be going there because the police need her to force a confession out of Jessica Beale, she should be going there on her own. She wants to know where her son is. Like she doesn't even ask Jessica Beale about her son. She never mentions David once in that conversation. And so when you know in that scene she's going in wearing a wire and she can't get excited, there's no conflict. I mean, I kind of respect Logier's attempt to give horror some greater intelligence, but it it doesn't it doesn't work here. Um, yeah, my only kind of question is horror as politics more successful if it's if the politics isn't really in the film. Well, I think the prime example of that would be Texas Chainsaw. Yeah, that's what I was gonna say. 
and how the whole early 70s horror, you could feel the social influence on on those movies, but they weren't explicitly political. Texas Chainsaw Massacre feels of its time. I don't know if that's just a contextual thing we look back because of the sort of time, period of time that's passed, but um, this seems to have nothing to say about contemporary capitalism or contemporary American society. Do you have any theory as to why it was uh, so successful in France? I don't know. Maybe it's your point that it's a French view. It, it works for a French audience. It works as a view of American society. Logie said it was called The Secret in France, and, and, uh, which um, people apparently thought that was a better title. I don't know if a film like Martyrs in French is more how that plays in France compared to like a foreign audience because to me that's far more interesting whereas this feels like a kind of bad American horror movie but that might play differently to a French audience so but do you feel like in any way because of his involvement it sets itself apart from the slew of American horror films that get made every year I think if he'd simplified the narrative not being as contrived with the twists and stuff and had a more solid base for the the political um, ideas in it then it might have been a better movie but I don't get a lot of Logie in it I mean those things are Logie but it feels like Logie done badly So that's our show for this week. I hope you guys enjoyed our conversation on Pascal Loger's The Tall Man. If you'd like to share your thoughts on the film or respond with any feedback you may have, you can do so by sending an email to filmjive at gmail.com. Don't forget to check us out on Facebook, Google+, Stitcher Radio, and subscribing to our iTunes feed, where you can also leave a review, which goes a long way in expanding our listenership. You can also hear Gary on the Cinema Subculture podcast, which can be found at cinemasubculture.blogspot.com. And please be sure to visit audibletrial.com slash filmjive to start your free audible.com trial today. Thanks for listening. Check back in two weeks for our next episode. And until then, remember to keep on jiving. <laughs>